Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, October 29th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by CEO and co-founder, Raul Pal. Raul, welcome so much to talk about the perfect day to have you here. We've got a lot going on in markets, uh, in the digital asset space. GDP numbers out yesterday, 2%, slowest rate of the recovery, below trend. And once again, it looks like all the usual suspects, supply chains, inflation and labor markets. U.S. two-year yield up on the week uh, from about 43 basis points now. Looks like it's hovering around 47 spot five. Uh, Had been as high as 53 bips uh, on a spike this morning. By the way, you wouldn't know it looking at the S&P 500. uh, Record close here, it looks like 4,605. 52-week high, indeed all-time high. Strong U.S. equity markets across the board. Dow closing up the day as well, closing out at 35,819. Uh, so much to talk about crypto, Bitcoin trading at 62,000 right now, and it's ETH, ATH, that's Ethereum all-time high, looks like 4,379. And with that, the perfect moment to bring in Raul. Raul, welcome back. Good. And I'm demob happy because I'm going on holiday and leaving these islands for the first time in 21 months. So... Frankly, I don't care about the markets. I'm just thinking about not looking at my screens or my email or doing another Zoom call. (laughs) Well, I know that's the trendy thing to say, but it's not true. You care about these markets. You breathe them. You sleep them. Talk to me. What's going on right now? How are you seeing this world? Exactly as I've been laying out in the daily briefing for months and months and months and months and months, higher prices are going to destroy demand. GDP growth is already lower than expected. Look at the Atlanta Fed survey. It's looking like GDP growth is getting close to zero for Q4. The market doesn't expect that because it's still looking at inflation numbers without realizing this demand destruction going on, in my personal opinion. You can't raise the oil price to $83 and not expect it to to, um, hit consumption. We're not seeing it in clear all the consumption numbers yet, but we're seeing it in stuff like the University of Michigan surveys. We're seeing it in a number of places. The other interesting move I've been looking for, I thought the bonds might get back to the top of the range. I mentioned it as 175. They hit 175 and rejected it. Um, I think let's see if it goes down to the bottom of the range, which is about 130 in 10-year bonds. If it breaks that, it's a wedge pattern, and we could see a further fall, which would be confirming of a slowdown thesis. Right now, there's no. it's just a thesis still, so we don't have full evidence, just quite a lot of kind of evidence on the outside. Um, the other thing that started moving and something I've talked about in daily briefing is the dollar. The dollar's going up, had a huge move against the euro today. Uh, you know, 1% move against the euro is very significant. I mean, the dollar is, you know, up 9%. Sorry, it's up about 
5% against the DXY, 5.5% against the euro this year, and 100% of forecasters had the uh, dollar lower this year, usually when there's that kind of consensus. So, yeah. you know, and I've said for a long time, the equity market is driven by different factors. You know, there's, there, there is no alternative right now. So the money's going to continue to flow that. We could get some volatility in that market as the equity market realizes that earnings are going to get downgraded at some point. Um, but I'm not sure the market cares. <laughs> you know, it just keeps increasing its multiple. So it just increases its multiple. Maybe it trades sideways for it. I don't know. But again, as ever, watch the bond market, watch the dollar. I think they're telling us something. I've been saying this for a while. It's not been confirmed either way. So um, we're kind of in, in wait and see mode in macro land. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the price pressures, because of the supply restrictions, are still in place. Um, and let's see what effect that has on the global economy. Yeah, Ralph, so much to unpack there. Uh, I should say, just crossing the screen right now, looks like NASDAQ up 2.7% uh, on the week. Dixie here closing out DXY dollar index, 94 spot, 1.3, something you were early to the party on that you've had your eye on. Uh, for some time. Finally, Raul, the other thing that I was noticing on, uh, you're talking about the 10-year, it looks like we got a bit of a curve flattener here going on as the rates uh, at the short end of the curve are rising. Yes. There is a bit of a curve flattener, and it's very normal at this point in the cycle, as I've been saying. I've said that most likely at some point between kind of March and June next year, people are going to be saying, oh my God, are we going back into recession? It's very normal at the early part of the cycle, post-fiscal stimulus, the economy hasn't got its traction. We see this curve flattening, and then eventually it steepens again. I think it will play out the same way. I don't know what trend rate of growth is in the US anymore. I'm guessing it's probably below 1.5%. The market hasn't figured that part out because we haven't got a clean data read yet until we get rid of all these year-on-year -year effects. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's to play for. Uh, and we'll wait and see in due course. Yeah, spot on. COVID distortion is still very much in play uh, on this, uh, on these, on these numbers as we watch them. Uh, and just to heighten it, this uh, this uh, flattener caused by the front end of the curve rising toward the belly. Yeah, and front ends have been going up everywhere. Australia kind of stopped their stealth kind of QE mode, uh, let the front end rise. So we've been seeing that. Also, people have been talking about the back end of the curve, the kind of fives, thirties, fives, you know, tens, thirties, stuff like that. All of that flattening, most of the time, isn't a prequel to anything. It's just what happens at this point in the cycle. So I'm not reading excessive amounts into it. Again, my framework is slow down, growth scare, more QE, more fiscal. Yeah. You know, you touched on some other points that I think are extremely important, and I've been looking to get your color on this all week. These three themes that we're watching here so closely at Real Vision, supply chains, inflation, and some instability, some dislocation in the labor market. Give us a sense on where you think all of those things are in terms of the real economy, in terms of its impact on data, and ultimately uh, its impact on asset prices. So real earnings are negative because of this inflation issue. In wages are not going up as fast as inflation, which is a demand crunch and something I keep talking about. Um, also, we have to realize that even if we see wage growth, you're going to have to net it out versus the amount of boomers retiring. 
So what is the net generation of income by the economy? My guess is lower than people expect. People are not used to dealing with such large amounts of, of retirees. You know, it's a new economic modeling that people are not doing. Yeah. So, um, so again, I think wages overall, general demand in the economy is probably going down and not up over time because of higher prices. You raise wages, you raise costs on baby boomers who have retired. They spend less because they can afford less. You spend it on people who haven't had their wages increased. They spend less. I don't see another outcome here because I don't see borrowing going up. That would be the other equation. You see household borrowing go up. So let's wait and see. I think there's a lot of demand brought forward as well um, from last year um, and into this year. And we're seeing it in housing slowdowns in other areas. So net net for the for asset prices, again, I'm I'm kind of marginally bullish on bonds, marginally positive on the dollar, kind of neutral equities right now. Can't get a good entry either way. Um, I'm still neutral emerging markets because the dollar's going up, so they're gonna go down. It's not a trade for me. Um, those exponential age names, you know, we had a great interview with Peter Diamandis. Um, he talked about it in great detail, exactly what I'm looking at. Um, those things aren't really at play right now. You kind of need economic growth to be to stabilize and be away from this reflation, inflation theme for those to uh, rematerialize. So I'm kind of waiting patiently for that. And the signal for that would be ARC breaking out of this giant wedge pattern it's been in. Meanwhile, Tesla obviously was the news. <laughs> Yeah, so much happening there. That story about Hertz buying 100,000 vehicles, $4.2 billion in revenue gross to Tesla from that announcement. Yeah, and to be honest, I just bought two Teslas, one for my wife and one for myself. My wife's, my, my Model X Plaid doesn't arrive until March or something, um, but her Model Y performance arrived on Saturday. i have been in a few Teslas before. I just thought, you know, quite, it was fine. Good, good enough car, everything's going to be replaced by EVs, so I thought I might as well just buy EVs. But bloody hell, it's a game changer. Really? Like, How so? You get in it, there are no dials, no switches, no knobs, nothing. Just this one beautiful white screen. Everything is run from that. You turn up to the car, and other cars have got this, turn up to the car, it automatically reads your phone, sets your seat, you can, you'll have set the temperature before you get into it, Everything kind of all happens with the technology hidden. So if you compare it to the Porsche Taycan, for example, which is their uh, electric car, it is all knobs, dials, switches, um, chrome, all of this stuff. The Tesla's basically driving an iPhone. It's like unbelievably good design. It's where technology disappears, and the car is like super quiet. And the one thing clever about it is, the stereo's got amazing sound. They're very quiet Teslas, obviously. The stereo's got amazing sound. And one little trick they do, just to give it that crispness to make you think you're slightly high technology, if you look at the graphic equalizer, the treble's kind of turned up a little bit higher than it normally would be. Mm. It's, it's kind of, they've got all of the tricks right to make you realize you've got an entirely new experience. It's, it's like a, a brand new consumer app and not a car. Fascinating. So I was completely blown away. 
Rao, when I hear you describe that, I think of your thesis and how you describe S-curves, uh, how you see that you know there's periods of flatness where it's very challenging to get uh, increases in performance, increases uh, in product likability, and then it just happens, right? It just goes up exponential. My God, these cars are quick as well. I mean, I've had some pretty amazing sports cars in my lifetime. <laughs> but this thing is like a rocket ship. I don't know what my plaid is going to be like. I mean, that's an SUV that gets faster than a Ferrari. I mean, it's, it's madness. So I kind of get the, the Tesla thing now. It is miles ahead of anything else. Just that understanding of design and functionality is a different league, which is going to upset so many people watching this who hate Tesla, but it's true. Rob, when you were a young guy at Goldman, what, was your, what were you driving? So I, my first kind of fancy car was something called a TVR, which is a British sports car, and they were V8, five-liter, really fast, noisy, great cars. They fell apart because they were crappy English cars. <laughs> um, so I had that, and then I didn't really have a fancy car because I was just on the tube and uh, you know go to work. So when I moved to Spain, I had some nice cars. I had an old Ferrari 355 GTS in 19, 1997. I had an 87 Porsche Carrera. Um, I had all sorts of... A 1982 Mercedes 500 SL convertible, like out of heart to heart, if you remember that series. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had some nice cars in my time. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see... Whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Uh, I should mention the other thing that's important to point out. We're talking about the pension crisis. Uh, Rao, your pension crisis analysis, such an important piece for us way back in 2018, a golden oldie, now available on YouTube uh, for everyone to see. Such an important sort of long-term evergreen piece where you talk about the demographic challenges that we have right now with baby boomers retiring and the shifts in the underlying demography of the working population. Yeah, I can't stress that how important that video is to frame a lot of stuff that I talk about. Demographics is the driver of everything to me. Um, that video is the biggest video in the history of Real Vision, I think, now. Um, it's quite extraordinary. A lot yep. of people have watched it. It's changed it's a lot of lives as well. For people who want to find it, it's called The Coming Retirement Crisis, now available to everyone uh, on YouTube. Raul, you mentioned uh, Peter Diamandis. I wanted to cut to this interview just to set up the clip uh, for what you talked about with Peter. Let's jump in and take a look at Raul's interview for with Peter Diamandis, now available on all tiers, Essential Plus and Pro at Real Vision. Do you think people are underestimating the size of what blockchain is in terms of what it means for all of us? Because people are still kind of fixated on Bitcoin or Ethereum without understanding that is basically the architecture for the Internet of Value across everything. How are you thinking it through? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree a thousand percent. 
the moment when every single thing is uniquely identifiable, uniquely um, uh, valued and uniquely ownable in the digital world or even, and that's where that company I mentioned, Vatom, is focused is when you go between the virtual world and the real world and being able to get a, a virtual Coke in a game that has a unique blockchain identifier and being able to then take it into the real world and get an actual Coke for that. I mean, it's it, it seems a very simple thing, but where there is going to be um, the complete portability between the real world and the virtual world. And I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it other than uh, it is the biggest opportunity for wealth measurement and creation on the planet, you know, as we tokenize real estate, we tokenize everything. And it's pretty democratic. Everybody can get involved. Unlike space, this is something we can all do, right? Yeah, it is going to be democratic if it's done uh, properly, which I think there's enough leadership uh, and enough independence that it will be done uh, democratically. Uh, I don't think, you know, no matter, I don't think any government or or individual billionaire will have the ability or clout, you know, to fight this decentralized network of networks and leaders. There you have it. Peter Diamandis, uh, now available on all tiers with Rao, Essential Plus and Pro. Boy, Rao, he is really optimistic about the democratizing power of this technology. I... A, I love doing those uh, exponential age theory. I mean, that was a whole thing that I came up with. I thought independently, obviously, Peter Diamandis had been doing it for like 20 years before me, and a whole bunch of other people have been on the same thing. What's really exciting about this time, as Peter and I discuss, is that all of these technologies are now reaching mass adoption phase at the same time. And the whole thing behind it is this is the fastest pace of technological adoption the world will ever go through. And it's all happening. And it's across everything from life sciences, genetic sciences, AI, distributed data, 5G, 6G, robotics, um, space, um, 3D printing. I mean, you name it. And it's all happening. So the world is going to look incredibly different in 10 years' time. It's going to look nothing like what we know. And I know that sounds scary. But you can be an optimist. And, you know, here at Real Vision, we're in the business of investing. When things go exponential, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. So following these exponential technologies where their earnings go exponential and their adoption goes exponential is truly a gift of an opportunity. And anybody who's been involved in the crypto markets in the last two years has seen what exponentiality means. And we haven't started yet. You know, and the poster child for this is, um, well, one is Tesla that we talked about before, um, but even many of the car companies I think will go through similar, but not in the same way. Arc Invest, I've talked about Kathy Wood before. She's been on Real Vision talking about her exponential age thesis. All of those technologies are going to be incredibly exciting. So, you know, we, we were talking off camera oh, no, earlier at the beginning, was I excited about going on holiday, which of course I am. But I think it's the most exciting time to be alive that I've ever seen. Yes, we've got societal constraints and societal issues. Yes, we've got a terrible rich-poor divide. Yes, we've got geopolitical issues. But out of the phoenix, out of the ashes rises the phoenix. 
And for me, this is a fourth turning moment, and this is all the first turning that we're looking at coming at us. And when we transition through by 2030, we'll be going, really, has this just happened? Well, absolutely. And very well said. By the way, we're talking about things that are going in some places from zero uh, as the baseline when they look at the exponential growth on them. I've got something that's on my mind that I haven't even had a chance to tell you about yet, Ralph. I recorded a show earlier today uh, with two guys from Field Trip Health. This is a publicly traded psychedelic medicine company. Uh, We brought two people on, one who's a medical doctor, uh, to talk about the science, to talk about uh, all of these exciting data releases that are coming out in terms of clinical trials studies, uh, and also uh, their head of clinical practice, who's a former investment banker, former private equity guy uh, who was interested in psychedelics and got into this space. I mean, this was an industry uh, that didn't exist three years ago. Exactly. And the marijuana industry, that's new. I mean, there is, the confluence of events here is, is, is ridiculous. To put it in perspective, I was speaking to Dan Tapiero. So while I'm away, on Rails Adventure in Crypto every Friday, the, the, the free series that comes out, well, the whole tier is free. I've got Dan Tapiero next Friday, and then the, we'll talk about uh, you, you, the chat you and I had. But Dan gave me some facts. Is okay, two years ago, the volume in crypto markets was $4 trillion. Last year, it was $20 trillion. This year, it's going to be $60 trillion. That's exponential. It's gone from four trillion to sixty trillion in two years. This is ludicrous. And I keep talking about this pace of adoption, but people don't get it yet. Yeah, you know, Ral. I know we're both really excited to talk about that Ral's um, uh, adventures in crypto piece that you and I just recorded. By the way, I've been warned we can't give everything away. I've been told. The good thing is, is I usually forget everything I say once I've done it because I kind of. Offload, what that into basically was, was me offloading to you everything that's on my mind, everything I've learned from Rouse Adventure Crypto and all of the things that you've been doing, Santiago Velez, Kevin Kelly, and all the people who've helped us on our journey of understanding uh, in crypto. And it was just like, here's my snapshot. This is everything in my head. So you got the fire hose of information for an hour and a half from me. Yeah, that's right. And it's really able to encapsulate 60 days of this show into one hour. You talk about the, we talk about NFTs, we talk about the metaverse, we talk about DeFi, uh, we talk about other things that are happening in the space. I think it's a, an incredibly important uh, thesis statement to understand this. And by the way, to point out, I know we say it all the time, but it is all free for anyone who wants to come and sign up for Real Vision Crypto. Just jump on the site, realvision.com forward slash crypto, and start participating absolutely free. Uh, not a trial, just come in and sign up. Yeah, and the Dan Tapiero interview, in fact, all of these Friday interviews, not because I'm in them, it's just that I get to choose the best guests in the world, so it's fantastic. So I've just got amazing, Dan's one was a mind-blowing one as well. You know, Dan and I have kind of on-camera magic role friends and known each other for a couple of decades at least, and so it's always a good conversation where macro meets crypto, how we're playing the space personally, what we're up to. He drops a huge bombshell about me in it as well, which uh, I, if I could have kicked him under the table, I would have done. But there we go. Nico kept it in, so it's not it's not going out. 
Perfect. You know, it really is interesting. The people who are looking at this uh, as a macro asset class, it really is. You could fit them in a phone booth if the phone booth were a little bit bigger. I mean, it's you, it's Dan Tapiero, it's Mike Novogratz, it's Mark Yusko, uh, and of course, uh, it's Dan Moorhead. Uh, all of these, really, the people who kicked this off as a macro asset class. Yeah, that's right. Because it came from a different set of people. But what we were able to do was frame it. I had a great conversation also coming on Real Vision Crypto with Jamie Burke from Outlier Ventures. Great guy, super interesting. He wrote a paper called The Open Metaverse. And I realized talking to him that what we were all doing was using the metaverse as a way of processing the bigger idea of what all of these technologies that we're seeing within distributed ledger technology are all leading towards. It's fascinating because it was the only way you can take it all in without being an expert in all of it and kind of hold the whole thought in your head. Um, and that's what I realized he was doing too. None of us know what the metaverse is going to look like or is, but we know how everything starts to fit in. It also stops you being cynical about things like, oh, NFTs, that's just a bubble, blah, blah, blah. No, you realize it's all building blocks. And, you know, I think... I put out a big tweet yesterday, um, which got a lot of traction, explaining why Mark Zuckerberg's move from Facebook to Meta is so damn important. Yeah, and we should say, we should actually take a look at that tweet. Uh, Facebook slash Meta actually replying to you on the thread. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 quite, it's quite fun, but it, it got a lot of traction. And what, again, I'm trying to do in that tweet is to stop people coming at it with their own biases. I don't like Facebook. It's all going to be centralized. You don't know anything. And you know, Meta came back and said, actually, we want it to be an open system. Do you believe them or not? That's up to you. The thing about the metaverse, what is so special about it is you can pick up your stuff, your goods and chattels, which are NFTs, social tokens, all of these things, and cryptocurrencies, and go to another digital society that you want to live in or spend time in, right? This is the point here, is you're gonna to have to treat people certain ways, because we get to, unlike in, in the world that you live in the United States, I live in the Cayman Islands, this is where we live, you know, we have to operate within this society, online societies, you get the chance to move. It's like if you didn't like the US for a while, you can say, well, fine, I'm just gonna to move to wherever, you can't do that. In the digital world, you can. So what they are about to do, and, and Mark Tucker made it very clear about NFTs and crypto and how this all fits together, is they're about to onboard everybody into this new world. People don't see it yet. They want to be cynical about it. They want to, and that's fine, but it's coming. Yeah. Well, I hear we've just been cleared to run a little bit long here today because we have so many questions that are coming in. In fact, we've had to divide them into two categories. Uh, I wanted to start with a few of the macro questions because we have some really good ones. Uh, the first one comes to us from uh, Brett Hertz. Uh, Brett says, I'm 43 years old. Assuming I live to be 80, will I ever see another Fed rate hike? You know, I don't. Uh, who the hell knows? I don't think so. I don't think so, but maybe they try. Question is, is will you ever see rates above 2% in your life? No. Well, that's, that's a stupid statement. It, from the demographics alone, it's unlikely for the next 15 years. I could say that with more certainty. That's, a, that's still a very strong statement, Raoul. Yeah, but I just use a chart of the labor force participation rate, which is on that 
I mean, that video I made in 2018 about the retirement crisis, I said, by the way, the labor force participation rate and the birth deaths actually exactly um, predict CPI, GDP growth, um, the Fed balance sheet, and velocity of money. So, and you can forward, you can put it forwards because you know the, the births 30 years ago. So it actually works perfectly, and it tells you where this is going to go. The only thing that could possibly change this is: can we generate higher GDP growth because of technology, or not? We just don't know. Yeah. Uh, here's one that comes to us from uh, David Duvey. Uh, this is coming to us from the Real Vision site. Uh, and the question is a country you know something about, Raul. How would you trade in a situation where a big European country, such as Spain, is unable to finance its public set bending and therefore goes broke? Well, I lived in Spain when it almost went broke in 2012. The ECB will not let it because they'll use the magic, which is printing more money. So it's never going to happen. It's yeah. as simple as that. We've learned that they will debase the currency ahead of allowing a sovereign to default. The reason being is sovereign bonds are the collateral of the world. If you let the sovereign bond layer default, everything goes, particularly in these massive economies. You know, Spain's a big economy. Um, so they just cannot allow that to happen or everything is gone. So expect ongoing debasement as a way of monetizing debts. Well, let me follow up on that. I'm curious to get your view. Uh, is it possible then that we might see a fundamental breakup in the euro area uh, if it appears as though these countries are getting nearer to sovereign default so that they don't have to backstop these massive debts? Well, when you print money and it's free, nobody cares. <laughs> we crossed that Rubicon, you know, a decade ago. Nobody cares anymore. You know, let, let's start a new initiative. We'll just print money. Let's bail out the banks, we'll just print money. Let's keep the credit market solvent, we'll just print money. Let's make sure the equity market doesn't go down, we'll just print money. No collateral is allowed to go bust in this environment because we're too leveraged as a world. So no central bank wants collateral to go bust. And that is, that is what's going on. That's the equity market, the credit market, the bond market. They don't want the currency market to move too fast and too far because if you let any of this collateral go bust that all of this leverage is based on, the whole game's over. Yeah. I think of those great charts that you showed uh, with Julian Brigden uh, correlating the rise of U.S. equity markets uh, inversely with employment. Could, not inversely, directly with employment, inversely with unemployment. Yeah, that was a weird one that Julian had. That's right. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, it seems to be, they seem to be highly correlated as well. But I guess that's 401k payments and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the thesis here is what you were just talking about. Obviously, you need equity markets to continue to rise, uh, or you see a significant uh, shock. To yeah, it depends which way the correlation is, the causation is, right? Maybe more people in the labor force means that there's more 401k payments, which keeps the equity market up. Julian's hypothesis is if the equity market goes down, then unemployment goes up. Uh, don't know. Don't know. But probably, probably a bit of both. It's an interesting hypothesis either way. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. 
Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Uh, here's one that comes to us from Hero My Hero from the RV site. By the way, it's H-I-R-O in the first hero. And the question is, or the statement, I should say, uh, Rao often says that macro doesn't matter much until it does. It seems like we may be approaching a macro moment where does Ralph see the macro play starting from this time? Is it currencies? Is it bonds? Is it commodities? Is it real estate? I've been shouting and screaming that the biggest macro trade in all history is underway. It's crypto. <laughs> macro is crypto. See my interview with Dan Tapiero. He's the same thing. He goes, I don't care about the bond market moving 1% up or down when crypto is doing well, Ethereum's up 500% this year, and somebody says, what's the macro play? This is the macro play, whether you like it or not. So is there a macro spill on? Well, we've just come out of a recession, so the probability of a macro downside event outside of a VAR shot, limited. You know, I've talked about the growth. Will growth slow? Great. You know, bond yields drift back down to you know, 50 basis points. I can't get excited. I just can't get excited. When you've got the exponential age and crypto, where the risk reward is so gigantically, preposterously skewed, nothing else makes sense to invest in. All right, one more question on macro, and this actually correlates in some measure uh, with what's happening in the crypto market. It comes to Sorry, us. I didn't want to be, I wasn't trying to come across as rude to hero there. I was just passionate about what is macro. This is macro. That's all I'm trying to get across. Yeah, uh, very much. This comes to us uh, from Sarjan Zaviri at, from the RV site, and he's asking, can you talk about the energy markets? Obviously, the cost of energy production tied uh, to proof of work uh, and mining right now. Give us a sense of what you see happening in the energy markets. My contentious view is energy, energy is becoming digitized, and in that is EV. So you're taking it, you're transforming it from being a process by which you extract something from the ground and burn it for energy to a using of renewable energy, which is infinitely scalable. So if you have an infinitely scalable input, you'll drive the price of energy down to zero. That's where it's going. That is the logical outcome of technology. Digitization drives everything down to zero because you can make everything infinite. It's to happen with computing power, cloud, phone calls, data, everything, and it will happen to electricity too. So, so how does that work, Rob? Because you have the the world of digital, and then you have the world of the the mechanics of physics, which has you know a certain energy density per you know millimeter cubed in terms of kilowatt hours. How does that shift take place? Sunlight, <laughs> sunlight, nuclear, um, sunlight, nuclear, wind, waves. Hydro. The, those things are almost infinite in their energy output. I mean, the amount of per hour of sunlight is like all of the energy on Earth for a year or something stupid. You know, there is so much excessive energy that has no harmful impact in converting to to a usable energy source, i.e., electricity. That technology will just keep racing to take extract more energy from from natural resources and output at a cheaper and cheaper costs. That's, it's, 
So can you imagine a world we're going to live in? It's part of the exponential age thesis, and I've got a bunch of charts showing this is underway, where, where, um, where green energy is significantly cheaper now than all other forms of energy. And that's going to just keep going and going and going. And we're going to live in a world with free energy. What does that mean? What can we do? What is our productive output for the whole society? If it doesn't cost anything. Think of the what's happened with data and the fact that data on our mobile phones is basically free now. Or the fact that they gave it away for free in India and suddenly the largest per capita data usage on earth on the mobile phone network is in India. And what does that do? It, it, it ignites commerce, it ignites communication, it changes things. So, yeah, it's huge, and it's coming, and it's coming fast as well. Interesting. Here's a question that I already know the answer to, but I want to hear you say it, Ral. It comes to us from Leonard from the RV site. Ral, do you still favor Ethereum over Bitcoin, and if so, why? We were just talking about this off air. Um, the cash generated in the Ethereum ecosystem is like 100x the rest of the entire space combined, something of that magnitude. There is a gigantic growth in the network, unlike any other space of this magnitude. That network has more use cases than almost any other network well, it's by far in crypto, but most networks in the world. It has a restricted supply because of the burning of ETH from the gas fees. Everybody is staking their tokens for ETH 2.0, so you've taken loads off the exchange. Then there are hundreds of billions locked up in, uh, or about 100, about 100 billion locked up in DeFi, NFTs, and all of that. It actually leaves a free float of Ethereum of about 11%. 11% is all the available Ethereum that you could buy if you went into the marketplace. And we've got that demand shock going on in front of our eyes. Bitcoin has nothing like that going on. Yes, there is a supply shock. Yes, there's a bit of a demand shock. But it just doesn't have the network intensity that Ethereum does. And the same is happening to things like Solana and Terra and others at an earlier stage. So they're smaller networks. And they're starting to get exponential growth. So they do well too. But yes, I'm at least, I'm probably now, I don't even know anymore because I bought some options as well. As I said in my tweet last night, <coughs> I'm probably 85% Ethereum. 85% Ethereum in your asset allocation. Probably because of, as I said, probably because I bought a bunch of options. Um, I'm about five, was about 5% Bitcoin. Um, and then a, bun <clears throat> a bunch of bolts. But I don't know yet. I think it's because I added the options, it's kind of skews the numbers. If I'm just looking at the pure spot, it's probably 75% Ethereum, 5% Bitcoin, and 20% others. Hmm. Actually, that tees up this next question perfectly. Uh, this one comes to us from Raul C uh, from the Exchange. This is Real Vision's internal social media network, Real Vision Exchange. Uh, and the question is, can you please explain the option buying we're seeing right now on Deribit? No. <laughs> I can, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Raul, give us the give us the headline at least. It's, it's um, 
<laughs> it's a trade idea from Macro Insiders, Real Vision Pro, hmm. and uh, Global Macro Investor. But what what does it mean for people who don't know what Deribit is? By the way, it, hit, it hit the FT. I mean, luckily, we weren't mentioned. Not that we're doing anything wrong. I mean, clients just buying options. But there was just a lot of volume <laughs> by the very nature of the people who read Global Macro Investor and Macro Insiders. Um, call option buying is basically a way to get leverage to the upside without risking unlimited losses, which things like futures contracts have. What it does is you list, you risk the premium you put in, and you're basically taking a bet on the magnitude of the move and the time taken for the move. Yeah. And not available to U.S. persons, I believe, right now on Deribit. No, LedgerX you are. But generally, I mean, options, you know, you've got them on Robinhood and people have used them a lot. Generally, they, they tend to be more for experts because it's not just price. It's time and price and volatility. It's actually not an easy thing to get right. But for yeah. some reason, people obviously liked the idea that I had. And <laughs> there was quite a lot of volume. <laughs> I'm being told to wrap up, but I just wanted to get one more question out because we wanted to get one in from YouTube uh, as well. And the question is, uh, so if we could really quickly, social tokens, this comes from off the top uh, from YouTube. Social tokens, what do you think uh, the community is? And let me just let me just paraphrase this question. The question is ultimately about social tokens. Uh, what? Why do you think they're so significant? And why do you see them as a driving force behind <coughs> in this space? All complex adaptive human societies have similar features. They have <clears throat> usually an organizing set of principles, a leader or group of leaders, a kind of a system of rules or organizing set of principles, as I said, and normally a value exchange. Like in religion, it's like you do these things, you go to heaven, you get those things, you go to hell, <laughs> and you give some of your money to the church. Um, in um, sovereign states, you know, there's a system of money. So what you're doing, we, we had communities online for a long time. But once you add a system of money, you've created a digital nation state. Hmm. What you do then is you create network effects around communities. So the more people you bring into the network, the more powerful it becomes, the more the value of the network goes up, and the more the network participants share in it. And so... It's really difficult to get your head around until you can't see it, unsee it. And when you can't unsee it, you realize it's going to be the biggest change in global business models for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Route monster show here today. If this were a loaf of bread, it would be stamped now 50% larger than before. So much we covered. Somebody just uh, wrote in the uh, YouTube comments. I'm watching as they fly by. Raul is to Ethereum what Sailor is to Bitcoin. And I'm not an Ethereum maximalist. <laughs> this is the facts, right? In maybe six months' time, I'll be talking about something else. I'm not an Ethereum maximalist. I am investing based on the facts that I see them, the research that I've done, and the risk reward that I can ascertain from it. Yeah. So, Raul, as we wrap up here today, what are the final thoughts you'd like to leave us with, key takeaways? I'm going on holiday. So, that's the key takeaway. 21 months between these two bloody islands. I can't wait to see a hill. I've not seen a hill in 21 months. I've not breathed air, dry, cool air, for 21 months. 
I've been chewing Caribbean air for 21 months. So that's all that's on my mind. And yeah. I'll, I'll keep checking the Ethereum price in the meantime. It's terrible that you've been stuck in paradise for the last uh, two years. I know. Somebody's got to live like this. I mean, look, there's never anybody at the bar here. <laughs> you got to start doing a happy hour, Al. So everyone always says, God, there's nobody ever at your bar. I'm like, this is my house. What, should I just have people hanging out in my house while I'm working? So um, I had a whole bunch of friends over actually on Tuesday, um, which was never good. Tuesday's a school night. Wednesday morning was not a good look. Mm. Never learn. <laughs> well, I will leave you with this. I am not going on vacation next week. I'm going to be at NFT.NYC, uh, the NFT conference here in New York. Have you bought an NFT yet? Uh, I have not. We should do a show, Ash's first NFT. I mean, I've been exploring the space, and I know it fairly well, but uh, I'm really yeah, eager to do it. I don't know it very well, but I bought the uh, the uh, Real Vision Boss. I've got the uh, kind of um, Apes with Guns, which I yeah. really like, and there's one called Chaos Monkey. bought that the other day. And I've got, I've got a few, but actually the Real Vision Bot guys, because it's, it's part of the community, but those ones are based on Real Vision interviews, and the sentiments in the interviews changes the color or the thesis. And they have these lovely descriptors. I just like the idea that it's part AI, part real vision, all combining into a, into this social movement. It's fun. Yeah, and it's generative art. They're driving them based on data, which is another super cool aspect of it. Yeah, really is. It's from the transcripts of real vision interviews each day. They look at the sentiments, and then they create this generative art around it. It's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I'm going to get a stern talking to you from Brian because we've run too long, Ralph. I don't care. I'm going on holiday. Ral, <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. See you, everybody. Take care and don't break anything over the next two weeks. Thanks for watching, everyone. Enjoy the weekend. Ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.